Jason, the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, it's Thursday. Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. Good jam-packed show. We will be talking Southern Conference basketball. We will be talking fell downs. There's another segment that I don't believe should ever be ran, but apparently it's going to be run, and I don't, I, don't, I don't really. What a special day. I don't like it. What a special day. Good boy, you're beaming over there. I don't like where this is going. Oh, what know. a special day. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to talk uh, women's basketball. We've got uh, a couple games coming up. Uh, very briefly, men played last night. Some other team didn't win. And we look at the standings. And ETSU, uh, I don't know who the other team's name is. doesn't matter. Uh, ETSU and the Citadel locked in the 8-9. Uh, just depends on how it plays out the next game, who wears blue and who wears white. West Carolina's locked in the 10. Chattanooga's locked in the 1. That's all we know. If Furman wins, they are the 2. Furman loses and Sanford wins. Sanford's the 2. Furman falls to the 3. Then there's a smattering of stuff. Let me start with the back end. Basically, the Mercer-Wofford game is for the 6-7. Mercer wins their 6. Wofford wins their 6. Loser 7, period. The last two 7 seeds. And, yes, the last two teams to make the championship game. So, all fitting there. Wofford can get into a four-way tie, but they lose every single tiebreaker and would still be in the sixth seed if they get in a tiebreak for three through six. If there's a four-way tie, three through six, UNCG, Sanford, Wofford, VMI, UNCG is the three. Sanford and VMI actually have to go to coin flip. They have played, or there's another tiebreaker. All the league results, they tied in. Every single one of them. Who is that? The Sanford VMI. If Sanford loses to Chattanooga, and VMI were to beat Western Carolina, and they are tied. They finished record-wise the same against every single team. Every single team. Every single team. That's incredible. There's no tiebreak one way or another. So um, there's probably a non-league. There's a ranking. Either way, they would be in the 4-5, and, again, Wofford is in the 6. If they go to a three-way tie, which is UNCG, Wofford, VMI, again, Wofford is the 6. VMI is the 4. UNCG is the 5. So uh, – VMI's locked into pretty much the 4-5 game. UNCG could be the biggest winner in a four-way tie because they leapfrog from 5-3. to three. Cannot land in four. So that's pretty much it. Uh, more than likely, UTC is uh, the one. Uh, again, thinking Furman can beat Citadel. Uh, and then you're asking Sanford to beat Chet twice, which they're the highest team in the league, so plausible. But Furman's the two or the three. Sanford is either the two, three, or the four. UNCG is three or five. VMI is either four and five. Wofford, Mercer, six, seven. So that is that. On the women's side, uh, there's just a lot to talk about because, honestly, we know three seeds are locked in. Mercer, one. Western Carolina, eight. So that matchup at 11 a.m. on Thursday, March 3rd is set. Wofford is the two. Everything else a little up for grabs. Furman with one win will be the three. Uh, Sanford would be the four. Four in that scenario, uh, and then five, six, seven really could play out a couple of different ways. UNCG, ETSU, and Chattanooga. We're going to talk about that um, a little bit later in the breakdown, and we can just jump into it right now. But uh, I don't know if you want to leapfrog the breakdown of ETSU women this weekend or not. I, I just rolled a lot. I probably I just took your show, okay? I watered it up. That's fine. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I would like to at least talk about the men's fight till the end last night. I know you want to just gloss over the no, game because Chattanooga won. I, I, don't, I don't know who won. I don't, I've never heard of them. I'm going to sit back. It's very easy for a team that has struggled the way that ETSU has and has six bodies to crumble, being down 20 against the presumptive at that point and eventual league champion. But, and this is what we saw all over Twitter, and I know it's not breaking news or anything, but we should at least recognize on the show, if there's one thing to take out of the game, that... ETSU did not give up. They did not fold. They did not pack it in. Ended with five. And it was quite impressive how they came back. And maybe Chattanooga, the team that you refuse to recognize. It's kind of like the Olympics with Russia at this point. I don't know if they like committed some kind of sin against the nation or whatever it, the case may be. Maybe a sin against Buck Nation, a number of them, where you won't recognize them as Russia did to the Olympics. But pretty impressive that ETSU continues to find ways to be in games, if not win those close games. Now they haven't won enough close games. And this, I almost hesitate to bring up the stat because it sounds like you're taking a shot at Desmond Oliver. That's not the idea. It just shows that two coaches ago there was someone that was able to do 
unthinkable things with this program. Kevin Brown brought this up to us last week, and I had to ask him, is this real? This doesn't seem possible. So Desmond Oliver this year with ETSU went leading at the half, led 21 games of the 30. 70% of the games, that's good. That's good. It sets you up for success. ETSU's 11-10. Steve Forbes, over his five years here, Kevin Brown verified 99-4. and And I thought that it was a joke. Like, that reads like a joke, right? Like, only four losses, especially when you take over a team that, quite honestly, in 2014-15, wasn't very good. You were here for it. There was a coach that was fired for it. Wasn't very good. And so 99-4 versus 11-10 just in this one season, pretty crazy. Now, last night you didn't have the halftime lead, but you still found a way to come back. And Chattanooga missed some free throws. They had some questionable decisions late in the game in terms of driving in, trying to get some baskets, uh, turned the ball over, give ETSU credit for that, obviously. And the Bucs just somehow had energy to press. And we don't have to talk about any more of that if you don't want. But I at least wanted to recognize that while there are a lot of games where I think it's been pretty demoralizing to watch, I think you'd agree with that, especially the Mercer game, if you go back to scoring 14 points in that first half. This game was certainly not like that, where you fall behind and you find a way to come back, fight, claw, and yeah, you come up short, but um, early good effort. And congratulations to Chattanooga. I'm sorry I had to say that, too, because, I mean, it is impressive. Uh, yeah, the look in your eyes is not doing a good thing. It's doing my soul. Favorite play of the night, Sloan dives on the ground for the ball, trying to get rid of it, trying to get rid of it, behind the back oh. from his keister oh. to King for a triple. Oh. Crowd loved it, appreciated the effort, unbelievable. Chattanooga doesn't like pressing, evidently. Because, and I couldn't figure out why they dribbled up the sideline every single time. I mean, I'm no coach, but that's generally not what you want to do. Also was curious that they didn't review the shot clock with 90 seconds to go on Malachi Smith's shot. I've seen the replay a couple times, and now, again, I don't have the ability to go frame by frame and pause and some other things. But that was close enough, and considering time, score, what happened, that was a big, I thought, non-review. Now, that doesn't mean that it still might not have counted, but I was shocked they didn't go to the review there. And then there was uh, something called a Grant Ledford, I think is how you say it, um, in in the in the game. That was a weapon that uh, snuck up on everybody. He was hurt all of last year and only played in one game, which was the Southern Conference tournament game because virtually Chattanooga was missing everybody. I've been asked this a couple times, so when was the last time ETSU played in the quote-unquote opening round? And the A-Sun used to just have eight teams qualified, so it wasn't an opening round. And it was 2005, Southern Conference Tournament, ETSU beat Furman, and then guess who played Chattanooga in the next round, which is still, I believe, the only time on air I cursed during the game. So Did you? Uh, I did. What word? I did. It's I a did. podcast, you could say. Uh, uh, damn. Uh, I said James Anthony hasn't hit that shot all damn day. Didn't we realize I said it? Again, not awful. Damn's not really. Not awful. Not awful. Correct. But that's still the only time that I have dropped uh, any curse word. Really? Uh, on air. Yeah, blue that's 20 years. surprising considering years. you've called probably 40 ETSU Chattanooga games. Um, yes. And some, if I didn't curse after last year's Caldwell shot, then certainly <laughs> that was that was another. Oh, well, or no, actually, honestly, that wasn't as bad as Casey Jones's shot that uh, from the logo and his five threes all year. Brooke Savage did a, just sort of a monkey stomp right on our logo before uh, he switched sides from Chattanooga to ETSU, which I never <laughs> let him never forget. No. Him for that. no, he claims it didn't. I actually showed him the video. He actually said that didn't happen. I made it up. And at some point, I went uh, on just a rabbit hunt until I found uh, the footage. So that being said, ETSU uh, – But and I will say this. In 05, it was different because eight teams played in the opening round. So you'd really have to go back a long way. Well, I can tell you the last time they finished eighth or below in the conference it was 1986-87. Yeah. And that, were there 18? I think there were just 18. I have absolutely no idea. But yeah. they won three almost conference positive. games. Yes, almost positive they were that. All right. Uh, so that's men's basketball. Well, we can talk you, about you, brought you, me down you want to talk about the UNCG game, or do you just think it doesn't even matter because seasons are already decided and you don't even want to focus on it? Well, let's talk about uh, women's basketball. Let's do okay. it. Time out after this. Back in just for a second. Luxuriously designed, exquisitely detailed, first in its class, corner to corner, a true work of art, capable of going from zero to $300,000 in a few seconds flat. 
Are we talking about a sports car? Oh, no. We're talking about Jumbo Bucks Premium Edition Instant Games from the Tennessee Lottery. So test drive the new gold standard and instant tickets today. The Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Let's talk a little women's basketball. A couple of home games. It's Wofford tonight as we record this on Thursday, and then Saturday it's Farmer. Wofford, I'm surprised, and I don't know why necessarily I am. I guess I should have looked at this maybe a little bit closer before the year. And I thought that I, you know, we do breakdowns of the Southern Conference before the year, so in early November, and then right before the conference year in late December, and then, of course, before the conference tournament. And I go through each team, not that I need to bore you with all the specific details, but I go through each team, see who's back, who isn't. And with Wofford, it was essentially the headline was Jamari McDavid is not back, right? And Jamari McDavid is someone that has killed ETSU time and time again, their third leading scorer from last year. But outside of her, granted while she was part of the core nucleus of that team and a member of a lot of their success over a long period of time, granted marginal success as it was, surprisingly to me, because they had Chloe Wanick and... Deja Green, who transferred to Virginia Tech, and just some very impressive players. Uh, Kyra Booker, their point guard, they could really do good things, kind of combo, swing guard. Um, the only other player got Lauren Cook, a marginal role player, really, at best. And so I guess I wrote them off in terms of the league title race. And granted, as we talked about in segment one, the league title is sewn up. It is going to be Mercer. Now, I suppose if Mercer loses their one game and Wofford wins their next two, it could be a share of the league championship, but the one seed's going to Mercer. I doubt that those two things are going to unfold, so we'll assume it's just Mercer taking it. Still, Wofford has been right there a lot of the year, and I guess they assumed that they weren't going to be in contention because they haven't been in contention with what I thought. And you can tell me if you think different, but, I mean, Wannick's their leading scorer all time. Best scorer in the history of Wofford basketball. Deja Green, obviously a power five talent. She could dish it with the best of them and score as well. Went on to Virginia Tech. And Kyra Booker, again, was really, really solid. And you had Lily Hatton in a freshman year where she won freshman of the year with that group. I thought that almost every team that Jimmy Garrity had before this season was more talented than the one that they had this year. But you look how they've replaced McDavid and Cook. They bring in Reagan Rappert, Senior Rochetto. Rappert, maybe not quite the player McDavid was, though I think she has potential to be. She's having a really good first year. And Rochetto's probably a bit better than Cook, so maybe it evens out. So if it's going to even out, I'm thinking 7-7, seven and 8-6. Seven, and six. And right now they're 10-2, and two, and this is historically one of, if not their best year in the history of the program, being at the Division One level, which spans almost 30 years. Can you reason your way around it? Because I'm not sure I can. Well, when I said Tuesday, and I caught you off guard, and I had to go double-check that I didn't misspeak, that Wofford swept Furman for the first time in women's basketball. Ever. They play a lot of games. And that, I think, already should tell me that that's a special sort of year when you do something like that. Then I was looking at conference-only standings, because non-conference in women's basketball is just tough. Um, Wider. Power fives are just, you know, again, the 15 scholarships, and I'll just preach this, and I understand total not, title nine, but you could – find a couple other sports to give scholarships, go to 13, and spread the wealth a little bit more and make it a little more competitive in women's basketball. But looking at conference stats, and I was looking at Lily Hatton, and she's fourth on her team in scoring. That right there told me, okay, they've got some things going. I knew they'd get on defense. They pride themselves on defense. That's really what they're built on. But in league play, they're holding teams to 21.8% from three. They have forced over 200 turnovers. They are plus 70, plus 70 in the turnover category. Points off turnovers, they're like plus 10 per game. They lead in still scoring margin, plus 11, better than even Mercer. And their only two losses is to Mercer, who we knew and thought, and he just reaffirmed they were the best team 
in the league had the most talent, and that's the only kryptonite for the Terriers. And so the Terriers want to get to the championship game and just say, you know what, you beat us the first two, guess what? You know, no holds barred here on Sunday. But they are completely, every time I kind of dispelled them and just didn't want to believe they have made a liar out of me, made a liar out of me by about double digits by every single game or more. It's been incredible. It's really the best coaching job in the Southern Conference, men or women, period. I'd put probably Bucky McMillan right level with Jimmy Garrity. That's you and Bucky. But Your I love Bucky. Hate. I've always loved him. Your love-hate relationship. Him. I don't know. You told okay. the tape okay. to show that I didn't like him. Um, Robert had never, in their nearly 30-year history of Division One basketball, won double-digit league games. And you'll remember this. Right around the time that they really started to get into the SoCon and establish themselves as being a member, so mid to late 90s, then early 2000s, it wasn't a 14-game schedule. It was 16. It was 18. It was 20 at times, and they had never gotten to 10 wins. And in this 14-game season, and through just 12 this year, already have double digits, 10 with a chance to get to two more. And obviously the two-seed, regardless of, as we've talked about, swept by Mercer, but they swept Furman, so they can't fall either. I guess I look at individual improvements, and I know I said I can't really reason my way to how they've gotten here. I can try looking individually, and you do find, and this has been a big thing we've harped on a lot of the year whenever we talk about Whopper, Jackie Carmen is certainly back. She's shooting it well again. Remember last year she shot 28% from the floor, 23% from three after coming back from that knee injury that had her miss the entire previous year. But we knew from her freshman year where she was going to win SoCon freshman of the year before she was hurt, that she was an efficient shooter and could put it in the basket at 40%, and then from three at 35%. And that's exactly what she's doing this year, so she is fully back. Naya Lutz has not finished a season above 30% from three in all of her years at Wofford, and that's three full years, shooting 41% from outside this year. So she's very much improved from outside. And Alexis Tomlin has really stepped into an interior role she hadn't previously been able really to hold down. She's the team leader in rebounds, blocks, and she's scoring it nicely, too. And you mentioned Lily Hatton. I wouldn't count her in the improved category, but maybe she's doing a better job of managing the game, quote-unquote. Remember last year, she killed ETSU. That game, I think it was the second of two. Of course, it was the weird split doubleheader last season. But she absolutely crushed the Bucks hitting a shot at the end of the first overtime to send it to a second overtime, and then hitting the game-winning shot in the second overtime, and Wofford won 79-78. So ETSU knows her all too well, but she's not having to do everything this year like she did last year. And you can just hear from that example, she was having to do pretty much everything. So there's some individual improvements, and that has led to team improvements, and the margin of error in the Southern Conference can be, and ETSU knows this also all too well, just look at the UNCG game last Saturday, it can be four or five-minute stretches. Like, just one of those can really ruin you, as it did for ETSU when they went, what, six minutes without a point or six minutes with one point or whatever it was at the end of that UNCG game. You can't have those stretches. And it seems like Wofford has been able to eliminate those stretches because even when they were extremely talented and had the Wannicks and the Greens and the Bookers, they would have those stretches. And I know that really nobody from this year's team for ETSU, at least in terms of the coaching staff and a lot of the veterans from ETSU's team last year. I know a lot of them did not experience losing to Wofford in the semifinals last year, but I'm hoping that the few that are back, the Carly Hooks, the Ja'Kiah Davis, the Courtney Moores, etc., remember that the Bucks did the hard part last year in the postseason. They beat Sanford. They upset the one seed the team that was supposed to go out and win it all and had done so the year before, ended their season, and then Wofford turned around the next day and had an ETSU season. I'm hoping that's on their mind come tonight so that the Bucks can exact at least a measure of revenge. The six-year turnaround for Jimmy Garrity is because Wofford was, and I don't think I'm taking a shot at the program, they were sort of the laughing stock of the Southern Conference women's basketball for a long time. I mean, they were the – I mean, West Carolina had more success – over the past two decades than Wofford. And so Jimmy Garrity and the slow turn, and maybe that's part of the bias for me being around so long, that you, you just, 
they can't be that good. They're not going to be that good. Something's going to happen. And you look at Jimmy Garrity, and, you know, he's gotten them to better heights than where they were when he took over the program six years ago. And after a rough couple of years, he started to turn the corner. Last couple of years, there's been an uptick. And now you're talking about a high-level um, Wofford basketball team on the women's side. And so certainly I think he deserves a ton of credit for what's happening there. I think the biggest key was when he was signed, he brought in Mike Merrill, the assistant coach. And anytime you bring in somebody from Hendersonville, North Carolina, you know it's just gold and it's great. And everything about it is spectacular. Is that it's right? probably the greatest thing uh, that Jimmy Garrity could ever do. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm sure how I missed that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great hometown. You should go visit it sometime, just in case you haven't been there. Um, maybe I'm biased. But Never heard of it. That, <laughs> that being said, um, I think he's, he has been – phenomenal and how he's been able to turn things around. They have done things again. Defensively we knew they were good, but offensively the amount of points that they've been able to score and the way they've been able to win has certainly, I think, shut my mouth on me early in the season kind of downplaying their early success in the conference season and to be honest with you, I've just seen them on film, I haven't seen them in person, so I'm pretty excited to see tonight's game to kind of put eyeballs on them to see not just how ETSU handles it in a big situation for them, because ETSU, if they were to win two games, they got a great shot. Matter of fact, I think they would be uh, with a win over Wofford. I think that would put them in the tiebreak situation that they would be the fifth seed. And you're talking about what a great turnaround Jimmy Garrity would do. Well, what if Simon Harris was able to get ETSU in the fifth seed, right? Now, that being said, it's a tough task because Wofford has basically blasted everybody but Mercer. And Mercer's blasted Wofford, so if you take those two results out, what in the world are they plus? Because they're still plus 11 in league play with a couple, I think, double-digit losses. So they could be plus 14 or 15 if you took those out. So I'm excited to see this Wofford team play, for one, to see how ETSU stacks up, but two, just so we can come back on a good tournament preview and, and – you know, kind of figure out how we think they'll do if they were to face off against Mercer in championship game. I want to talk about the box in a second, but let's first kind of reason our way to that tie break. So we think UNCG is going to beat Western, right? Western hasn't won a league game all yes. year. Yes. So that would put them at 5-9. and nine. That's their only game left. Chattanooga has Wofford and Furman, much like ETSU has Wofford and Furman. So if Chattanooga loses both, which I think you and me would – Probably expect it's not a guarantee. Like UNC should be. Well, Cornelius is still not playing. Right. It's been rough. Yes. Been rough for Chad. So that would put Chattanooga at five and nine. If ETSU, who are expected to get Amaya Adams back tonight after really what Simon Harris told me she missed last Saturday because of precautionary things, there was an ankle and a knee, and then she took a knock on the head, and so it was just you know what if we need you we can absolutely use you if it is completely necessary, but you know. Why put you through it? Let's just have you sit until next weekend. So she's expected to be back. Demi Griffin's still supposed to be out. Although, allegedly, apparently, she's progressing enough, it would seem at the moment, to try and get out there for the tournament, which would be huge for ETSU. So if the Bucks can win one of these two, either Wofford or Furman, then you move to 5-9, and nine, three-way tie. Chattanooga has not beaten... Mercer, or Wofford, or Furman. And in the scenario, remember, they lose to Furman UNCG didn't either. UNCG lost Mercer, lost Wofford, lost Furman, lost Furman, lost Mercer, lost Wofford. So all you need it, it's simple math. If you is win one, one win that's right. against either of those two teams at ETSU would be the five seed. And it's all about perception, right? Obviously, the Bucks would like to be at the top of the standings. Well, things take time. We know that on both sides right now. To go from eight to five in one season when you won one league game and four games total last year, you got to push that if you're Simon Harris and company because that is a big deal. And if people understand that and recognize it and realize it, then I think that he's going to be held in high esteem around the Southern Conference and around here. Especially the way they would finish right. uh, the season, being able to get – you know, one of these last two wins, get them to the five. Again, it, it's not far fetched. That's why I was doing this earlier today. I was scratching my head because I was like, okay, ETSU's going to be in the 6 7. Then I started looking at the standings. I was like, well, 
It's not that hard to believe that if Cornelius doesn't go, that that's two losses for Chattanooga. And also, if Cornelius plays, it's still not far-fetched to say two losses. And then ETSU just needs one because UNCG can only get the 5-9 and nine with a win. So ETSU can get the 5-9. and nine. ETSU, and again, if they turn a magical corner on one both, and I'm not certainly saying that, I'm just thinking if ETSU could get one, if they got two, they would still hold all the tiebreakers if Chattanooga lost one. So it's not that far that ETSU could get to five. Now, still a very realistic chance they're the six or the seven, and depending on how things go, because if UNCG wins, goes to five and nine, ETSU drops two. It's very simple. They're seven. If they go into a tie, at least ETSU wins a tiebreaker at six, seven, in a two-way tie. But they hold not all the tiebreakers. Oh, that's right, because UNCG beat them twice. Yeah. You're correct. So there's there's just some things that. We would, we would have to look at um, in this situation. And actually, now thinking about it, I think UNCG may move to the five in a three-way tie because UNCG did Chattanooga beat UNCG twice. We have to look at the three-way tie break. Oh, you're right. Oh, I, oh, I didn't either. Uh, you spent the whole morning on Oh, I, I did. I did. That I is my you. fault. Oh. UNCG, they split. Yep, so UNCG would win the tiebreaker, so the Bucks would get six. Oh. So he just, you had me excited. Oh, I did too. I, I did too. Well, I mean, still be tied for fifth, even if they're the sixth. Yeah, you could still, you still be tied for fifth, which I think, considering they were dead last last year, and I know they upset the number one seed, but they were dead last last year. If you can go from last to tied for fifth, I think certainly that's something to hang your hat on and to build on, which already seems like a lot of momentum on the recruiting side for Coach Harris. Regardless of the scenario. It obviously all starts tonight, and the Bucks are going to have to play better as a group than they have, I'll say, last game and also against the Terriers the first time. In that first game against Wofford, they just didn't get anything from the starters. 5 of 25 from the floor, just 12 points. And then last game, they couldn't get anything from their backcourt outside of Courtney Moore, the backcourt outside of Moore, 5 for 33. So you can't just have Courtney Moore. You can't just have Ja'Kai Dancer. You can't just have Carly Hooks. It's got to be two, three, maybe even four that step up, get to double figures, and that was a big theme last year on the show that we talked about and for ETSU Women's Basketball. When you didn't have three players get to double figures, four players get to double figures, you almost never won. One thing I'd like to see a little bit more of, and I'm not sure at the beginning of the season I thought I would ever say this because she got very few opportunities, but Jada Rice, we didn't talk about her in our Tuesday breakdown of the Western Carolina game, but she came in, and she looked like she belonged, I think, for probably the first time all season for an extended period of time. Like, everybody has, you know, the one possession, right? Like, you can, if you're at the Division One level, someone saw something in you that was repeatable. And Jada Rice has had that at different points this year, but an extended period of time, she played five, six minutes, and she hits a corner three, decisive, just goes up with it, drains it, then drives from the left wing, gets to the basket, finishes a couple of just impressive, impressive offensive plays. And I know she played a little bit last game, took one shot, didn't make it. Uh, But if you're able to work her into the mix a little bit more and she's able to give you productive minutes, that could be absolutely massive. Because as we're seeing with DTS men's basketball, the more bodies you have, the more likely you are to be able to overcome the issues that some of your stars may have. And as we just talked about, 5 for 33, backcourt outside of Courtney Moore, last game 5 for 25, starters against Wofford in the first game between these two. There are going to be stretches for this team because they don't have those established, I'll say, I don't want to say completely legit all-conference players, They have some that I think can push that, but they don't have those where you're like, all right, in crunch time, that's the person. All right, lead a basket, turn to her. So if you can get a Jada Rice in there and continue to have her progression really take hold of her game and give you some good minutes, I think that's huge. Let's talk Saturday quick because seniors of I Adams and Jameer Houston are being celebrated. Uh, Adams made it through four years in which there was really a bit of everything, and I think that in itself is an accomplishment. Remember that her class also had Kai Upton, Shania Jackson, and Elise Stafford. When she came in, Jackson and Stafford transferred last year. Upton didn't make it through the year in this final season. It's almost a little bit surreal looking at it now. 
and seeing that she is the only one left from that group, she has survived a coaching change, a lot of very difficult basketball for the program, and I think that I'd describe her as a bit unwavering. Not that she was ever going to go out there and give you 25 and carry you to a win, but in her role, she was someone you could always count on, so I'm very happy for Amaya. Of course, Jameer, um, one season, and she would have liked it to go differently. Obviously, a couple of things have kept her off the court, but with Amaya, I think she's a case that you can look at and say, wow, this is someone that showed resilience, really gave her all to the program, and while she may not be remembered as a superstar, certainly should be remembered as being someone that was always there when you needed her. Yeah, and I think she's been fun to deal with, too. Like, you know, we got a chance to know her over the time, and she's one of those that, you know, Coach, what do you need? All right, I'll go do it. You know, never complain, never said anything, just whatever the role has been in, whatever they want her to do, Amaya has seemed to just do it. And Coach Ezell raved about Amaya in that effort. Coach Harris has raved about it. So certainly um, I think it's well-deserved. It, unfortunately, Houston, when you get sort of the – I hate to use this term, but the one-year rental, right, the, the grad transfer, it's got a season to go. And sometimes those are hits, sometimes those are misses. And for a lot of reasons, the injuries and everything, just unfortunately didn't get to see a lot of Houston on the floor. Looked impressive in a couple of games that she was – in there, thought she could certainly help ETSU down the stretch, but I thought Coach Harris, because Adams has a year left because of the COVID year, but I thought it was fitting. I think a lot of schools have started to do this, like, if they've graduated in the spring of the summer, let's celebrate. There's no guarantee that they don't decide to either further education and go to a grad school where they're looking at, and I'll say this, women are better about this than the men. Women think future. Dudes think, where can I score points? I don't think women basketball players are necessarily that way. Some are, but most are like, hey, I'm going to have a career in something else, so I want to get my master's in something that I can do something with. And so I don't know what my Adams is going to do or look to do or want to coach or want to do something else. So if you celebrate her and she comes back, great. Celebrate again. But if this was her last go-around, ETSU fans are able to send her off if this is the last time you get a series. So I like how that is being approached. And I think other schools have started to do this, too, where guys are redshirt sophomores but in their fourth year are like, hey, let's go ahead and let them walk because they've graduated. And if they stay for a couple more years, great. And we can celebrate them again. But if not, then they were given their just due for the time they've given ETSU. I mean, Ty Brewer and Ladarius Brewer could technically come back. David Sloan cannot, but the Brewer brothers can. And if they don't come back, they were given, I thought, a great send-off. And I think that's great what they're doing for Amaya Adams. And it'll be fun on Saturday to uh, to see uh, who Coach Harris has known the longest uh, of the women's coaches in uh, Jackie Carson. So we'll see how that matchup goes, Furman and ETSU. So all that coverage, uh, Mike Gallagher, both radio calls, 6.30 tonight, Thursday night, ETSU offered, 11.30 a.m. pregame show, Furman on Saturday. All right, that'll do it. we got some fun stuff coming up on the other side. Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power here for you. One, two, three. 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 Did you replace first fail, or did you forget that? Did I replace the first fail? Oh, yes, I did. Okay, because we were missing it. We were missing it. Oh, no, I didn't. Nope. Nope, not See? Look at First fail. fail. How about your first fail is this guy? First fail is you. Production fail. Okay, Okay, there's always things that don't make the cut. 
and we never really talked about them, but I'm just going to mention them as, I guess, honorable fails. And I won't go into a whole lot of detail on okay. each. I'm just going to let the imagination do what it does for our listeners. A biker being gored by a bull. A scoreboard panel hitting a basketball player in the face as Kansas. he ran out yep. from the tunnel before a game of Kansas. Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle not remembering Terry Taylor, who crushed ETSU early on in the season last year. Went to Austin P in a press conference calling it whatever school he's from. A local media outlet that added a letter in front of its in an ETSU-related yes. headline. And multiple things that you sent me that related to growing contact, unpleasant misplaced striking of the middle area, or unintentional freezing of the midsection. Yes. Again, things we can't talk any more about, but I thought deserved to mention because you do send quite a bit of content on this front. In fact, not surprisingly, it is the part of the show that you are involved in the most. I know a lot about fails, Mike. <laughs> you know this. Did not make the cut. But first, fail. This one did. ECU. Good baseball program, right? Yep. Bryant from the NEC. We're familiar with. We're familiar with, but, you know. Forgettable, right? It was a Saturday, I guess I'd call it the middle of three, I believe it was, and eventually Eastern East Carolina would be swept by Bryant, which was shocking because East Carolina was like number 12 in the country going into the weekend. But that Saturday game, and you love umpire and referee mistakes, and this sure. one I saw was absolutely incredible. I defend umpires more because I used to umpire, but go ahead. Okay. East Carolina at home. Has a runner on first, and it's the ninth inning. Their final ups, they're trying to get the victory and avoid, obviously, a second consecutive loss. Eventually it would be three. High drive, deep right field. Announcer says, will it stay fair? And if it stays fair, hey, that means it's gone, right? Leaves the park, and Banner starts to circle the bases. Rushing out from the dugout, East Carolina, this one is Ola! You know, it was done. Umpires get together over on the first baseline, and there is massive confusion. The announcers going on and on, it's fair or foul, they're going to decide fair or foul. It gets worse because what they were conversing about was not a fair foul call. It was the first base umpire calling time as the pitch was coming in, and they wipe away the walk-off home run, and East Carolina loses in extra innings. I had never seen that from a base umpire. I've seen it, obviously, from home plate. That happens kind of all the time. You get the pause right before the pitch comes in. How they grant time to the batter, that doesn't count, whatever. Usually the batter's backing out of the box because he's the one that called time. You don't actually see what would have unfolded, and so the controversy isn't really there. But what kind of controversy is there when you see a first-base umpire who shouldn't be even involved at all in anything when it comes to pitch, hit, ball game, calling time, because apparently something over at first base happened, and it was granted. Never seen it. Well, if you call time, there's time. Time is called. So well, I, sure. I'll say this. So I thought you were going with this because I did not know this story. ETSU had a game where a ball is hit down the right field line that was originally a home run. The third base umpire comes over, they have a conference, and then calls it foul. The third base umpire, down the third base line, says the first base line, home run is foul. Okay? The NCAA changed the rule a year ago, or the next, that offseason. You can't do that anymore. So I was expecting that you were going to give the first base line, third base umpire. That's Gave it, and I was going to say, well, that's bad on a couple levels because ETSU, it happened in the game against Florida Gulf Coast. That's what changed the rule for all of NCAA baseball. So I was about to be spot-on ready to blast that. Then you threw me off with the call time. And I wonder what would be even worse is if, and again, we don't know who asked time. We know it was granted. But I wonder if, like, let's say the runner on first is like, hey, I need time to shoot time, and he costs his team the game. Do you know? I mean, do we – was there a loose spot? We don't know, do we? The – I saw this, and I did not see the explanation in total, but I did see on the replay the first baseman rather than the first base runner or umpire. The first baseman. So the defense. Well, he, he is, no, that's not where I was going with it. He is pointing to the umpire saying, no, he called time. So we don't know if it was the first baseman or the runner, mm. but the first baseman was obviously pleading his case that that doesn't count because I heard him call time. Now, was it the first baseman? If 
were the first baseman, I'd be like, hey, that was me. Yep, I called time. I'm brilliant. I saved us the game. Or was it the runner? Or what would it have been? I'm not quite sure. Yes, if time is called, it has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be grand. But if time is called, it, it is yes. called. But, again, in a moment like that where it ends up being a walk-off home run, I have never, ever seen it. Counted as an umpire fail if you want or not. But I'm sure East Carolina, if you say not, would have their gripes with it. No, I, uh, yes, I can see where you have your gripes. But that situation where, unfortunately, the nobody's going to be happy. Fair. But except for Brian because they won. Yeah, well, good for Brian. <laughs> and the road team got a got a you know benefit of the doubt. We'll that get that. Well, yeah, we never see that. You have to defend your head coach of Michigan men's basketball, or maybe you don't. I don't. I don't know that I have to defend anything. I'll, I mean, I just I just wear a T-shirt during games. I don't. I don't know if I'm an official spokesperson. I, I'll just say this. I'm not sure. Oh, you want to – in case somebody doesn't know, you want to – I was going to say, no, I think that everybody's probably seen it. Jawan Howard throws a punch at Wisconsin. Greg Gard apparently grabbed him before – in the handshake line before the punch was thrown. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. people have Mm -hmm. said, allegedly, that Jawan said, I'm not going to forget that, about a timeout that was called earlier in the game. Um, I do know some that are saying, look, don't put your hands in the guy or you're going to get these hands. And so – so you can defend or not. I don't think you necessarily no, be right or wrong. I, I think, I think there, there's a lot of issues, right? We've, I've talked to a lot of head coaches about a lot of in-game situations, right? So the pressing of the walk-ons is never never a good thing. So if you're going to do that, then people either try to score on you or they call timeout or whatever. So you've got that going. Howard's mad about that, but then he was pressing. So you could see regards like, well, if you're going to press my walk-ons with your starters, then I'm going to not put them in a bad spot. So you get that. The blow-by, as it's called, is generally the easiest way for a guy to let another coach know, I'm unhappy about you, but there's not going to be a confrontation. I think Guard was just trying to probably, in his mind, I'm just going to de-escalate the situation by telling him what happened. The problem is when a coach is trying to give you a blow-by, he don't want to talk about it. Right? He's already made up his mind. Like, I want to go. I am not a fan of trying to stop anybody who's mad because that doesn't go well, <laughs> right? Um, and then after that, you know, it got kind of downhill. And this is after the Oral Roberts, North Dakota State coaches got into it. And then the Summit League with the brilliant half-game suspensions, which is not a thing I've ever heard of in my entire life, of coaches and players and other stuff. And I've talked to both sides, North Dakota State folks, because we know we got – We've talked to them enough on this show. And then, of course, Adam Hildebrand, who's the Oral Roberts play-by-play guy. I've known him for a while, too. So I got both sides of it, and both were like, yeah, it was just terrible. And and both were like, I can't believe it's half game. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, you're just going to encourage. And then both those guys, like, four days later, are like, hey, Michigan, hold my beer. That's what I'm talking about. Like, you got us out of there. Now, for Jawan, second time he's done something, obviously he's got some anger management issues, but – you know, I made the joke to a bunch of Ohio State fans that were sending me messages, again, as if I was, you know, a part of the administration or have something to do with it. I made the joke, well, how do you know the guy said he had something, you know, on his face and Juwan was just trying to get it off of his face? I mean, you don't know what was said there. I mean, maybe Juwan was just trying to, like, hey, man, you got something on your ear. Let me you know, slap that off. I don't know. I don't know, Mike. I wasn't there. Decent response. Okay. I, mean, I mean, that being said, I felt like all the punishments were fair. Really? You I, think so? I, I, guard not getting anything. I mean, 10000 bucks. Right. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm a gamer to at least. Right. I thought you you could go, if you would have said a game, fine. If you said more than that, I would probably be anti him getting, uh, I, you could go one game. You could also say probably Juwan couldn't have coached the rest of the year, conference or regular season. Right, right. But uh, that being said, there were some punishments out there. I think, I, now to look at I think guard probably because it escalated, and although I know he didn't mean to, but that's not how the world works. Um, he should have got a game, and honestly, I would have been fine if Juwan didn't coach for the rest of the season, conference tournament, regular season. Whatever. And that's as a Michigan fan. So again, Yeah, I mean, listen, you got you can't have the grown people. Just like talking to Oral Roberts, North Coast State, the grown people started the fight. Like, like you are the two that are supposed to de-escalate all this. That's the thing, too. It was two blowouts. This, this wasn't games that came down to the wire and the Senate. These were two blowouts. Like It's like parents at a kid's game going after refs or coaches or something like that. Like the eight-year-old at the gym, third-grade basketball, and parents get into it in the stands. Or they Apparently rush you've the seen my kids' game. Is that what you, were you at the last game? <laughs> is, that, 
Is that what you did? Or uh, is no, that, no, I was, I was on the road. I was getting updates that uh, a couple of the parents were yelling at the officials. Call both of, the yeah. referee apparently turned and yelled at the parents that these are kids that are like six and seven yeah. and calm it down. So. Embarrassing. The whole thing was a fail. I did think Gar should have gotten a game or two. Jawan, I was fine with the five. And then I was maybe even more upset by, and I'm not going to say what the gesture is called on air, but the assistant that was over on the right side of the screen that gave two hands to a certain region of his body that will indicate you are supposed to do something to that region. Was it a crotch chop? <laughs> no. We went DX style I was, here? I was trying to avoid anything along okay. those lines description-wise, but yes, he, nothing. Nothing for him. You can just go and make whatever gesture you want on national TV, apparently, and it's all good. Okay. Big Ten. You're not too upset about it. Okay. Third fail. The slam dunk competition. I know ten guys in the park that can do this. No, they can't. With Tim's on. With Tim's on. You would have won this year. You would have won this year. I would have been doing those. With those knees. I mean, five sixes would win it for us. going to win. There might not be a bunch of five sixes. A bunch of memories here, but that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool from Brian Anderson. It's probably been an over-exaggeration. But that is sound from the broadcast of the slam dunk competition, I think accurately describing it as you heard Reggie Miller say, look, Kenny, and, you know, Kenny the Jet Smith is like, what, 60 at this point? I mean, he's 50, pushing 60. You could have gone out there with your bad knees and won this land competition. I know 10 guys in the park that could have put out a better show than this. All he needed was a bunch of sixes, and the bar clearly very low because everybody else had completely destroyed what was once a really fun event and gave the final man, Obi Toppin, and we'll hear from Stephen A. Smith on that in just a second, Obi Toppin, the chance to go and win, and all he needed was a 30, like the minimum score. An absolute abomination of what I once loved. It used to be one of my favorite events, and fair to say that that was about as bad as it's ever got. I think the issue is, and in fairness, there's only so much you can do. And fans got tired of the windmills and, you know, start on one side and go the other side and reverse down. I mean, there's just so much you can do. So people were getting, and I blame the people for this, because people were just not impressed with dunks that are still impressive, but they're like, oh, I've seen that. Well, great. That's still hard to do. So now you're trying to make guys do things that are almost physically impossible or you can execute it once in a thousand times. And so they're having to do that because, you know, the old windmill 360 just isn't good enough anymore. Oh, my gosh, we've seen that before. Well, guess what? They're dunking it. They're not dunking whatever you want now. So I blame, I blame the people. The fail down are the people on this, Mike Gallagher. So you don't think there's any creativity left in anyone's brain to come up with new stuff? Like, where has the creativity gone? I mean, I realize that we've come a long way in dunking. You know, people used to just jump from the free throw line, and that was enough. And still, that honestly might be enough. People just used to do the cuff, you know, like one side, other side dunk, and the windmill, and like you said, off the backboard was really cool. Between the the legs is not a thing anymore because it's like, oh, my gosh, I've seen it, right? But how hard is that? But where is – no doubt, no doubt. But where is, like, some creativity to repurpose some stuff that we've already done and already seen into something different so people are like, oh, well, okay, maybe I've seen a windmill, but I didn't see it like that. Or maybe I've seen it between the legs, but, boy, that's different because he did this instead of this. Like – we're seeing none of that anymore, and it is depressing. I blame the people. So here's Stephen A. Smith today. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Not Stephen A. Smith. This is Stephen A. Smith. That was the worst slam dunk contest in the history of basketball. It was a national atrocity. It was awful. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> needs to say it, so I'm going to say it. Now, I'm happy that a Nick won something. It's Kendrick Perkins, and I do think it's funny that Stephen A. Smith there at the end recognized that the Knicks never won anything, but Obi Toppin for the Knicks was able to bring that home, the only thing that they've won in, like, what, 20, 25 years. Um, and maybe Kevin Brown's take is valid. Oh, you got to be kidding me! I mean, that's my thoughts on it, too. Here's Stephen A.'s fix to the dunk competition, which I thought was compelling. We could go to any park in America and see these cats dunking. We got cats in the streets that wasn't blessed and fortunate enough to be associated with organized basketball in a fashion that would enable them to be in the NBA. These brothers can play. And obviously the NBA got money. I am proposing...
posing on national television, a national slam dunk tournament nationwide. And we find, based on that competition, pick the best five to seven of them, and we get the NBA players to sponsor. I'm not talking about monetarily, but I'm talking about to support out of those seven, which ones they want to pick or what have you. You keep the players involved, but they don't have to participate in the dunk contest. We get cats on the streets. You see brothers in the park, yeah. in the streets, that can dunk and put on an absolute show and let them get sponsored by their favorite all-star. The winner gets a million. The runner-up gets 500000 The Constellation third prize gets $100,000. I have never seen a slam dunk contest that bad. I literally left and walked outside in the cold and said, I'm done with you. It was horrible. The only thing that is not a fail about the slam dunk competition, I think, is that take. I think that's pretty good. I'm a fan of that because here, here's why I would be a fan of that. Here, again, I'm blaming the fan. If Joe Blow does a dunk, that one of the NBA guys does, I think Joe Blow will get a better reception for the dunk if it's a windmill 360. Because it's a guy you don't know. It says it's compelling. Obi Toppin does it. Oh my God, he's Obi Toppin. He's making $18 billion. He's got to be able to dunk better than that. So I blame the people. So I think it would be good for that. Um, I think there would have to be a vetting process, though, from just everybody on the streets. I mean, uh, a tournament. I mean, it would, but I mean, you know, I don't know if you need the eight-time convicted felon in the championship round uh, making a million bucks. And I think there are some equal that, opportunity, Jay Sando. I agree, but I do think uh, NBA is a brand, and they are concerned about the brand. And I do think that it would not be truly as open as Stephen A. wants it, but it would what be a, a great idea. Story. Come on, what a comeback would, story that would be. I'm for he it. He was locked up last year. I am for it because the people would be for it. For the, the people. You hate the people. The final fail, and I, funny enough, saw you looking earlier at the USFL. Let's go. So apparently you're excited I where I look at the first round of picks, and I am thoroughly let down and borderline depressed. The first pick, you may recognize his name, again, being a Michigan fan, was Shay Patterson. Let's go. Who wasn't even good at Michigan, let alone at any professional level. I mean, that's actually fair. The number two pick. And tell me if you've heard of any of these people. I've heard of two others. Jordan Tayamu. No idea. Brian Scott, who I thought was a basketball player in, like, the 90s. <laughs> ben Holmes. I know Priest Holmes. I know Sherlock Holmes. I don't know Ben Holmes. Clayton Thorson is one that I do recognize, and there's an easy joke there. Anytime that a Northwestern quarterback is a first-round pick anywhere, is the league not doomed to fail? Alex McGaw. Kyle Lalletta, and I actually found some headlines on him. I didn't know who he was. Apparently, he was like a practice squad guy for the Browns maybe at some point. And finally, my favorite of them all, the fact that he was the eighth pick of these eight, to me, says many weird things about the USFL and the other quarterbacks. And this man, Kyle Slaughter, who was a backup for the Vikings, actually was active for a couple of games here and there. He was pick number eight. So I have heard of Patterson, Thorson, and Slaughter. Now, Tiamu was at Ole Miss. So... A lot of SEC fans remember that, but can I tell you where Byron Scott's from? Please, help me out. Occidental College. Accidental College? Like it's not o- even it's with an o. O. It's Occidental. Oh, yeah. okay. Ox- Occidental. Occidental. It might be an accidental college. It's o- that's an accidental pick. So Holmes is from Tarleton State. <laughs> okay. Billy Gillespie's down there. Maybe he now, connections. McGaugh was at uh, several different places, but ended up at Florida International. Well, let us Richmond, Richmond. Oh, so, okay, so a lot of people there. Lot, yeah. And then northern Colorado. Well, at least we know Slaughter was in the league, you know, like, what in the world? And let me make sure to give a shout-out, too, because just because the first round was horrible doesn't mean it's not awesome that this year player was drafted in the third round. That is fantastic, and wishing him the best in this league. And I hope that this league lasts because it would be great to see this year have a great career, make a lot of money, do his thing, get big, maybe get a shot in the league again. Um, but the first round. I mean, I have never seen anything more cringeworthy in any draft anywhere. And I'm talking like, you can go like the Rule 5 draft in MLB. You can go back to the XFL. Like, there are at least more names I recognize in the XFL draft. Um, so on and so forth. The AAF, I think they had. Well, Tiamu was in the uh, XFL. I must have missed that. Okay. I don't know how, but I must have missed that.
missed it. So very thoroughly let down. Yeah, I, I, I am as a guy that grew up in the '80s with USFL. I'm obviously excited, but the biggest difference is there's the, no good players except for Mr. Nah, Obviously, well, but the, the, the biggest difference is the the money and the NFL was not paying anywhere near market value for their NFL players back then, and they were allowed. So Herschel Walker, you don't have anybody like that. Husband Trophy winner saying, no NFL, I'm going to USFL because they're guaranteeing me a million dollars and you're only going to give me, you know, 250000 Maybe this is good because it means this year player will be able to dominate. That is a big plus. But I think you're right on the money piece because I was expecting a few more big-name guys. Like, what if uh, – and I know in retrospect this sounds ridiculous as I've thought about it more because, honestly, I gave the USFL about five seconds of thought before I saw the draft was a couple of nights ago. But what if, like, a Gardner Minshew, who's not really going to play much in the league, you know? And what if you had, like, uh, Andy Dalton? And then I realized, thinking about that, I was like, okay, well, they're probably going to make as a backup, not having to do anything, like, 8 to $10 million a year. They're going to make as a starter in the USFL, what, like, a few hundred thousand dollars, probably? Right. So, I can't believe Johnny Manziel's not in this. That would have made a lot of See? sense. It's still State. See, All that right. would have made a lot of sense. So we should I be the commissioner. I disavowed myself of those thoughts quickly. But, All uh, right, there's fell downs. So what do we got now? Uh, worst segment ever. Worst Worst segment. Worst well, you're not going to be over this one because I'm not going to let Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? He texted me at 2 in the morning. Please. The number 4. Ivory? And he never brought it up again. So, middle of the day on Wednesday, he sent me munch, no, no, from, from, no. Ain't no punctuation ever. He's got to have letters missing from his keyboard. I'm still trying to figure that one out, bro. Back end of two basketball games and a football game in the same weekend. It was a 6 a.m. email that said, Shoe runs my world, curls. Which either meant, who runs the world, girls, that Beyonce song, or was just a terrible shoe joke. <laughs> Pretty pumped for this. Aren't you? At least once a year. And this is the one time that we will get to do this this year. You're not into it at all. You're going to have to give me something on each of these because we've got, uh, let's see, nine Jay Knows the English Language sound bites. If you're not familiar, this is, I think I'd call it an idea of many. This isn't a Jay Sandoz specific idea, not a Mike Gallagher specific idea. The people clamored, and hey, you're a man of the people, as you said, Jay Sandoz. So while that may sound good from time to time, I think this is probably the one time that you wish you were not a man of the people and would have just been Jay Sandoz rather than voice of the box that talks for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. I'm just not happy about how excited you are about this. Oh, I'm pumped. Maybe as pumped as I've been for any segment all year outside of, like, the TSU football run. Let's go ahead and get into it. The first Jay Knows the English Language soundbite. I'm not sure this is a school. Kafer's back in, the transfer from Lelola, Chicago. I'm going to yeah. get that right in a minute. Have you, not, you ever heard of Lelola? Lelola. Lelola. That yeah, sounds like a, something that would be out in Hawaii. It's yeah, that's Hawaii. exactly sure. what I was thinking it, it might be. I don't know why you've never heard of that. Cooper Kafer's someone that transferred in from Loyola, Chicago, Jay Sandoz. You know, there's, a, there's a number of Loyolas. You might want to get familiar with the Loyola because Loyola Marymount. There's Loyolas kind of all over. What about Lelola? Lelola, I am not quite sure okay. what that is. Uh, but... This soundbite will maybe tell us how we should deal with that moving ahead. Again, you can't do anything about the early message. You can only make them from henceforth. I think it's henceforth. Ooh. Yes. But henceforth, we should probably consider Well, we missed Loyola. four in a row, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to help us out to not miss the henceforth. Again, you can't do anything about the early message. You can only make them from henceforth. You're close. Or Ford. Did I say Ford? Ford, henceforth. Is, 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 is it a vehicle? Uh, it could be. Not our sponsor, though, so we want to okay. stay away from that, I think. Okay. Um, not anymore. Ford. Not, not anymore. No, not right. anymore. Henceforth, and henceforth, we will consider Loyola Chicago, not Laolia. Laolia? Laolia. Yeah, Laolia. It's not that easy. Whatever it is. Right. They are a road underdog at home. Yes. Do that again. They are a road underdog at home. I, I listened to that a number of times, and I was like, no, I think that makes sense, but then I listened again. They are a road underdog at home. 
Well, I need I more don't. context because... Oh, there's no I'm, context in this I know, I know, I know. This is a, because if I was able to hear it, I could probably explain but it. What in any context would that make sense? A road underdog at home. Well, you know, if you're talking about spreads, they're treated like a road underdog even though they're at home. That makes sense. Now, again, I would have to hear the rest of that. They I, are a road underdog at home. Part, part, of, part of what I try to do is mind jam you because I know what I'm doing and you don't, so it... it, it Oh, yeah, you've got a whole plan here. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sure you do. So the first three for me are ones that kind of make sense. We know what you're going for, and I think this one falls into that category, too. Well, a very auspicious start to the first half. Four turnovers to start things. Now, this one isn't that bad because I think you just are not understanding what the word means. Auspicious means good. Inauspicious means bad. And you were talking about the Bucks having a bad start, and they had four turnovers, so it was bad. But well, you said good start well, with four turnovers. but here's my thing. I, the last game, I thought they started the game with 25 turnovers, so obviously it's good just to have four. Started the game with 25 turnovers. What one was that? I don't know. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> now you're buying Jamie. Yeah, yeah. You, this it really does get turned around on me. I can explain often. all this. I don't know. So the first four, I'm like, okay, like, you know. Auspicious and auspicious. Easy mistake to make. You mispronounced Loyola. You couldn't get quite get it right. It's funny, Listen, but okay. Right. And you talk to yourself for three hours, you're going to misspeak it. Sure, but then there's things like that. Today, the Bucks were supposed to play North Carolina A&T. They canceled on Sunday. The Bucks found an opponent. A formal? A formal? A formal? Formal? Like a formal opponent? I think it was or supposed to be formidable. formidable okay. what I was going for Formidable there. foe, maybe, and you got yeah. the two Fs back-to-back. And then you probably have bombed off air as you did that. <laughs> this is another one like auspicious. Let's say 31 to 4. Disparity, right? No, actually not right. Uh, disparity <laughs> is what I think you may have been going for. Disparity, I'm not quite sure where that falls in the English language. So maybe you do know English, but you also have this alter language that you've come up with. Play that again over here. Let's say 31 to 4. Four. Disparaging, right? <laughs> right? I was sold. It's like you're almost I asking. Well, I wasn't quite right? sure if you were asking about the word or, or about the, or the score. The disparity. Yeah, 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 some way. kind of disparity. You're going for disparity. Right? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the basketball this year, but you could tell that it's a very disparaging. It sounds like you're making disparaging comments sure. about the basketball. Sure. So I was wondering maybe if it was a combo of disparity and disparaging. Um, I don't really quite understand. This sounds good, but I don't know what it's supposed to be. So four turnovers have led to seven points off turnovers from halftime. So beneficent for the Paladins as far as that. Beneficent. So four turnovers have led to seven points off turnovers from halftime. So beneficent for the Paladins as far as that. Yeah, beneficent. Beneficent. Like one word, beneficent. I mean, I could waste time saying, like, have or something. You know, I could just do it. Oh, okay. I mean, I got, a, I got a lot of information to get out in short period of time. Beneficent. Got it. There was some legitimate uh, ejections and, and uh, benches, you know, kind of ming- malingering around. Malingering around. Malingering around. <laughs> Malingering. A combination of meandering and lingering, I think. Yeah. Which is a favorite of mine because you do tend to combine words into your own words. That it is incredible. Uh, this is one that even for you, I think, has just gone completely off the rails. Four two three six three one is the phone number. Four two three six three one is the phone number. You can send us a message on Twitter. Or you can tweet us at Bucksports Radio. There are ten numbers. Are there phone number? Four two three six three one is the phone number. Four two three six three one. And twice, not only once, that, you repeated it. That does, and still, that does feel like I'm missing something. With just, <laughs> something's missing, all right. Jado's English language, one of my favorites. Uh, here's what I'll say. For your credit, throughout this entire year, I found about nine or ten. Now, I'm not in the studio nearly as much as I used to be because i got to do home football and basketball on ESPN+. Plus. So I'm missing about 20 games there. So I think that's why there is the disparity that there is number of clips versus the amount of times that we do this and the frequency and how many times you tend to get caught, shall we say. Care to volunteer anymore? Yeah, we're 
couple that came to mind that um, <laughs> I was expecting. Uh, okay. Or at least in my mind, I thought I said wrong. But, you know, maybe I said this right. Maybe that's the problem. I thought I said the other's right. They're wrong. Mm. Maybe I thought I said something wrong, and it's right. Maybe I thought I misused a word, and it was actually properly used. My head is thick. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I try to do. <laughs> that's the eroticism. Iron, ironicism. Ironicism. Yeah. I cannot keep up with this, which is, I don't think, the point of the segment, but conveniently for you is how it's working. Well, the silliness is over. Correct. Maybe. Maybe not. You're starting to get a full segment, right. which for this segment is great. We're going to be back Tuesday. We'll set you for the Southern Conference Tournament. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Oh, you got to be kidding me.